folks working on um, the stock market, day traders. <laughs> right? They can't just play with the stock market and pull it apart, <laughs> take it apart, whatever, lose all their money, find, make some house money. They just, you know, everything's okay, no problem. Oh, no. They get really involved with the comma of it. Is this a good action? Was this a good buy? How will I know it's a good buy? Well, I have to wait for the results. And if the stock goes up and I sell it, it was a good uh, act or buy. And if the stock goes down, then I feel bad because it was a bad action. And so <laughs> person's feelings go up and down and up and down, depending upon a particular stock that he owns. And if he owns five stocks and some goes up and some goes down, he's a mess inside. So we had gotten started talking about the simile of the snake. And that um, the common thing that happens with uh, students and people who are just interested in Buddhism kind of from the outside is when they hear, uh, let us say, uh, the skill development set of the Eightfold Noble Path, instead of seeing that as a method of momentary freedom in this particular moment, they see it as a rule to be followed in order to get some advantage that they don't have right now. Okay, so it would be like the difference between a doctor handing you a pill and says, here, take this. And we, and we are so blind that we misunderstand that pill to be a, um, a written uh, prescription for that medicine. And here we go waving that uh, piece of paper, that prescription <laughs> down to the pharmacist and show him that pill that you picked up and he don't know what to do. Why are you still needing the pill? And you still think that it's a prescription. Okay, so this is one of the major issues that we have is, is that we try to take something real and turn it into a rule. That's why I use the analogy of the pill versus description, because the prescription is nothing but the rule to follow to get the pills, as opposed to the pills themselves. Once you see that the Eightfold Noble Path is the pill, <laughs> to, to be taken in this present moment, and when do, we, when do we apply it? We apply it when we remember to apply it which means that it would then be to our advantage to build up the skill of remembering to apply it. Right? That's sati. Sati is to remember to apply the rule. Now, in Western Buddhism, this has been misconstrued and misunderstood and translated into the word mindfulness. And in that regard, they lose it. The word mindfulness loses its power. It's a wishy-washy word because it really is not even a word that's in the English language. I think that the guys who were writing the original Pali text invented the word mindfulness so that they could find some way of translating sati. But because, uh, and the reason I say that is because most people have never heard the word mindfulness until they hear about Buddhism. It's always in a Buddhist context. We don't hear about those kind of words. So it's better to use the kind of words in English that really hit people because they know what it means. It's got, a, it's got power behind the word. Like, for instance, the word snake, <laughs> bite. Those words have power behind it, okay? That's why the Buddha uses those kind of words, because they have power and intensity uh, behind it. So this word sati, or to remember, can be also translated exactly the way that the Buddha used it in the sense of bodh, or to wake up. That sati is literally to remember to wake up. <laughs> to wake up. This is what the word sati means. It means to wake up out of the slumber of the thoughts of in our mind. 
into the present moment. Or another way of thinking about it is, is that we're coming out of the sixth sense so that we can actually have some experience, more real deep experience in the other five senses. That when a child is born, it's born into its five senses and they play and they shout and they run and and uh, uh, play games and, and have a ball. And early childhood for most children, not all, there are those who are in, let us just call it unfortunate circumstances. But even in that case, the young child still wants to play. Even if the tricycle he has is a mangled piece of junk, he will still play with it. Okay. Something happens in the training along the way. I, I have evidence in the suttas based upon uh, the progression of events that happens when the Buddha starts about talking about a man and a woman conceiving a child and having the Okay. Uh, where we stopped off was uh, that in some of the suttas, it talks about the entire kind of life story of a monk, including from uh, conception and early childhood and being nurtured by the mother. And then what happens to the child in the time of the Buddha is, is that the, the child becomes interested in uh, sensual objects. What I mean by sensual objects, tactile objects. And because of that, he wants things that he doesn't already have. And this is the primary dukkha of the child. Okay, you're back. You want me to do a hotspot so, or something? Um, yeah, why don't you turn your video off? Because that may help. Well, where we were was uh, talking about the child when when it is born. Uh, as the child begins to play with all of his toys, in fact, in these in these suttas, many places, the Buddha even gives a list of all the toys that the child is playing with. But mm -hmm. then the child gets interested in getting objects that he doesn't have and playing with things. And uh, uh, then is when desire comes in. So there's a difference between sensual pleasures which means right here, right now, we're taking pleasure from the senses versus sensual desire, wanting things to give the senses pleasure. Now, <clears throat> it appears that this was the primary issue with people in the time of the Buddha. But now we know that we have an additional thing that's happened, and that is, is that the human mind has now picked up and started thinking critically. Critical in the sense of not just I like it, I want it, but also that, wait a minute, this one's not good enough. We need to fix it or make it better. Mm -hmm. And so we are now dealing with both sides of the issue that the Buddha mentioned in the second noble truth, and that is wanting things that we don't have, greed, and wanting to get rid of things that um, we have determined are difficult to put up with or difficult to endure. So uh, modern day children have a double whammy of wanting things that they don't have and and also whatever that they do have is not ever good enough. They're wanting more, they're trying to improve it. And so we then turn that critical thinking onto ourselves also, looking for self-improvement. So this is the uh uh the big issue then is is that we become dissatisfied and everything that we want has to do with becoming more satisfied by going out and getting it. So basically, it's it's an issue of 
uh, do we do do we go around the corner or go the direct uh, versus the indirect method? So the indirect way that our system works is is that if you want to be happy, you've got to go buy something that makes you happy. <laughs> okay, and then when you get what you want, then you can be happy. Okay, so first you've got to attain. First you've got to do this. And then when you get that, then you can feel the results, okay? An example of that is, is that you want to feel really uh, good and excited and pepped up and raring to go and feel really exhilarated all on a Saturday afternoon. Fine, go to a football game. <laughs> Their football games are designed specifically to get that happening if the, if the team wins. <laughs> But if the team loses, then the fans of that team walk away uh, in the normal state of mind. Well, next time our team will get it. So when the team goes up and down because the individual sports fan is following the team as if it were my team. Mm. When the team wins, they feel good. And when the team loses, they feel bad. But they don't have the opportunity to make themselves feel good or bad because they think that they've got to go get it by watching the football football game. Millions and millions of people watch football <laughs> games on television so that they can feel good. Where in fact, if every one of them would reflect <clears throat> all this really going on, is a flickering TV screen and some <laughs> sounds. And that's all is happening. Everything else is happening is, is also happening just inside their mind. Mm -hmm. And all the exhilaration and the good feelings and everything like that, they think ignorantly was created and caused by the football team plus the cameras and the networks and this television and all of that stuff together made me feel good. And look what it cost. Trips to the stadium and expensive, sometimes $100 tickets or maybe a... The reality, right, the, re the reality is, is that the... Um, uh, the the indirect or the long way around mm -hmm. is the normal way that people do it and that the direct method or the shortcut is in fact the buddhist path mm -hmm. and and that's the way that we should look at it when he says this is the direct method it doesn't mean on this hand this is the direct method i used to be teaching all of this very slow long-term method but mm -hmm. now I'm coming up with something new, and this is the, the direct method. No, <laughs> we can understand that, it's, that this is the teaching of the Buddha, that, the, that all of the other uh, round-the-corner methods mm -hmm. were other people's methods, that the Buddha's method is direct, and it is direct, and to be applied in this present moment immediately every time that remember it. And so we want to practice remembering it over and over again. And one of the ways that we can do that is by practicing remembering that this breath is a long, deep in-breath. And then sati, to remember that this is a long, deep out-breath. And so that sati, along with the breathing, then keeps us coming back to the present moment over and over and over and over again. Hmm. So, uh, the sati is the first element of the Eightfold Noble Path that is to be developed. Along with that, and uh, actually what comes first is one's right view. Right view basically means the way that we look at things. And that uh, in this regard, what we're in the process of doing is turning around our way of looking at things from looking to the outside, which we started doing in the childhood, 
because the inside just, I mean, uh, undeveloped children don't have what it takes on the inside. But now as an adult, you already have what it takes on the inside. So we need to change that view from the frame of reference of being on the outside mm-hmm. into a frame of reference of investigation on the inside, of looking, of watching, of um, developing wisdom based upon seeing what's going on and see how things proceed and progress. Uh, This is actually the uh, wisdom. We'll talk about it more later. But I would like to introduce to you the fact that there are actually three views that the Buddha talks about. Wrong view, ordinary right view, and super mundane or noble right view. And that um, ordinary people will either uh, have the view that's a wrong view or an ordinary right view. Basically, mm-hmm. the, uh, the wrong view could be summed up in one statement of, I can get away with it. I can go out and <laughs> do anything I want to do, and I can get away with it. It doesn't matter how many people I harm, so long as I get what I want, I'm okay. And mm-hmm. if I don't get what I want, I'm not okay. This is basically, I mean, it, hardcore wrong view is the view of a sociopath. Mm-hmm. And then there is ordinary right view, everybody else in this guy's family, <laughs> who are tr- screaming in his ear sometimes, oh, no, you can't get away with it. There are consequences to what you do. This is what gave rise to what is uh, uh, referred to in Hinduism is the common, uh, the law of karma. Mm-hmm. Karma? Uh, you know, karma. K-A-R-M-A or K-A-M-M-A. What it means in the Pali or the Sanskrit is action. And basically what the statement is, is of the, uh, Newton's second law of thermodynamics in the sense for each action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Mm. Okay. Well, that, that works in Newtonian physics quite well. When you look <laughs> at the uh, uh, bows and arrows and gunfire and cannons and uh, uh, wheels and transportation and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, it's it's not a good idea to apply that rule where it simply doesn't work. And ordinary right view tries to apply that rule no matter what. And in mm-hmm. fact, that's the end of it, because they'll say, you can't get away with it. And the guy says, yes, I will get away with it. <laughs> the, uh, the authorities, the ordinary right view will say, no, eventually you'll get caught. Mm-hmm. Okay, that eventually is where things really go south. We're bad at because the Buddha too. understood that there is a situation of cause and effect, and that uh, it's not a delayed reaction. In other words, if you uh, pull the trigger on the gun, the cause, then the gun's going to fire the bullet. Very quickly, with a change of events <laughs> of a, a, a thing. There was, in fact, a, a television series uh, many years ago, a, a situation comedy called Get Smart, <laughs> which was a, um, a, a, he was a detective uh, wearing trench coats and having gadgets and all of that. And one of the gadgets he has was a gun mm-hmm. that he carried. And the gun was manufactured so that it had a five-second delay from the time you pulled the trigger it counted five seconds, and then the gun. <laughs> and he and he got into really humorous situations with that kind of thing because the people would take his gun away from him, pointed at it, pulled the trigger, and it didn't go off. And while they were confused, he grabbed the gun and pointed back at them, and it would go off by itself. Except that it didn't go by off by itself. It went off because of the trigger being pulled but that there was a delayed action that was built in. 
and ordinary right view sees the magic that if some trigger is pulled and they don't hear the bang, that they think eventually the bang will happen. Mm. Where in fact it might not. Mm. Well, maybe if the gun stays around long enough, it will eventually go off three, four, five hundred years from now. <laughs> And so, and so this is the belief in the law of uh, reincarnation and rebirth that's built into this law of comma that says right effort will, uh, excuse me, uh, good action will give good results and bad action will give bad results. And then they end that kicker no matter what. <laughs> And that no matter what is, in fact, the statement of every religion on planet Earth is that no matter what. In other words, we do not see the cause and effect right now. Therefore, we have to wait on it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where the teaching of the Buddha is recognized the cause and effect, the cause and effect of straightening out one's mind, the mind pretty fast. Um, I think I figured out a way to connect to Bluetooth. Can I try that? Okay. It might disconnect, but I'll call you again. All right. Okay. It's great. Okay, so we were talking about a uh, right view, ordinary right view, wrong view, and super mundane right view. So basically, wrong view is gratification oriented just getting gratification gratification and that or that ordinary right view says wait a minute there's going to be dangers in there but it's said mm -hmm. in a way that we make it into a rule so that we have rules and shoulds and stuff like this so ordinary right view is based upon set of rules, is based upon circumstances, and is based upon the belief that um, it will catch up with you. That you will go to heaven or hell based upon <laughs> your behavior. Except that that's been modified to a bit uh, in some religions that it has more to do with your behavior is not um, the issue, but it's what ceremonies you do. Mm. Okay, so if you do the ceremony of taking Jesus as your savior, you go down to the river and you take a cold bath in muddy water with your clothes on <laughs> and, then, and then go vote for Donald Trump, thou shalt be saved. So it's all a matter of ceremony, you see, for some. But the original concept of that was is that, no, the issue is salvation from your sins, which means how can you become sinless? And the whole concept then of sin means wrongdoing or bad comma. So all the religions are doing the same thing. They just have their own language for it. But they're all talking about the same thing. And the Buddha says, hey, wait a minute, Mr. Religious group of people. You wind up putting a lot of rights, rules, rituals, shoulds, woulds, coulds, and promises of magic involved with all of this stuff, which has actually increased people's greed and fear rather than uh, eliminating it. An example of that is an awful lot of Christians, when their children are afraid of hell, afraid of damnation. It's not that they are determined to do good because they can see the dangers. Rather, they are just merely terrified of hell because they don't understand that the, that the, the concept was hell was to point out the dangers of bad behavior. And so they're not focused on cleaning up their act or cleaning up their behavior. They're more 
because, in fact, that's not even part of Christianity, the way that it is in <laughs> that mm-hmm. that they they go for forgiveness rather than for clean action, clean behavior. Now, that's modified over time because, in fact, the whole quality or concept of honor was built into some cultures. There are still honor cultures that exist, but they've got their own problems. But the Western culture is no longer an honor culture. It is now a guilt culture. In the sense of the honor is, is that it's your job to straighten out all the problems right now, which includes you may have to kill your daughter for having sex with the boy down the street. That's honor killings, right? And you got to get things straight to where in the West, oh, no, you can't kill your daughter, but you can sure feel guilty about what she did. (laughs) And you're going to make her feel really guilty along (laughs) with it. All right, and so this is a guilt system. So now we feel guilty and are afraid of damnation or afraid of the results of our bad actions. But we're not actually doing something to change our behavior. We're just fear, just being around afraid of the consequences. And so that leaves us as humans then to try to cover up, tell lies, get away with it. Because I've already done it. Now I got to get away with it. (laughs) Rather than recognizing that we can turn that whole system around by following the Eightfold Noble Method of recognizing that, hey, I can pull my mind out of hell or the fear of hell or guilt or any of the other stuff that's associated with right view. And I can also pull the mind out of the grasping and clinging and desire base that is the wrong view. And come to a super mundane right view of everything's okay right now. (laughs) Everything is fine right now. No problems right now. No need to go put our critical hat on and go out and start criticizing society. And And when the society comes up to my standard, then I'll be happy. <laughs> All right? That's not ever going to happen. No one has ever fixed society, not for long. <laughs> not in the Buddha. That, in fact, those people who are powerful enough to pick up that society and hold it wind up getting bitten by it. <laughs> I offer you Donald Trump as an example. <laughs> he has picked that snake up by the wrong end, and it's just about to bite his (laughs) arm. (laughs) So this is the Eightfold Noble Path is the nobility of getting out of the ups and downs, backs and forths of the world and finding the joy and pleasure within that we actually did have when we were in early childhood where we saw things as as nurturing that everything was a toy that nothing is an importance that in fact importance is something that children are taught an example of that would be that the the little girl was given a toy It was actually a Barbie knockoff, and it only cost Mm -hmm. a dollar. Mm -hmm. And she pulls the arms and the legs off it, and she takes the clothes off of it, and she pulls the hair out and does all kinds of things, and everything is okay. But her aunt then goes Mm -hmm. and buys her a really, really spiff, first-class quality, uh, whoop-to-do Barbie doll. Mm -hmm. Paid maybe $60 for it, whatever, I don't know. (laughs) And the child is there taking it out of the box and starts pulling the arms and the legs off of it and their hair out, <laughs> dressing it, and she's just doing what she does with normal dolls. And this time, both mom and the aunt freaks out because now she's destroying an important doll. How important <laughs> is this doll? Sixty dollars. <laughs> So, 
this is part of that indirectness is that we go out into the world looking for important things because we think the important things will make us happy. And so they taught this little girl that important dolls are better than ordinary dolls, but now you can't play with them. It's too important. <laughs> And you see that transferred then to folks working on um, the stock market, day traders, <laughs> right? They can't just play with the stock market and pull it apart, <laughs> take it apart, whatever, lose all their money, find, make some house money, they just, you know, everything's okay, no problem. Oh, no. They get really involved with the comma of it. Is this a good action? Was this a good buy? How will I know it's a good buy? Well, I have to wait for the results. And if the stock goes up and they sell it, it was a good uh, act or buy. And if the stock goes down, then I feel bad because it was a bad action. And so <laughs> person's feelings go up and down and up and down, depending upon a particular stock that he owns. And if he owns five stocks and some goes up and some goes down, he's a mess inside. <laughs> And we wound up living a life of a mess because we have so many conflicting views about what's important and what's not important. But when we retrain the mind for what's important, then what's important is how I feel right now. Yeah. That's really important. If we think about it, that's the only thing that really is important <laughs> is how we're feeling right now. But really, that's not important at all. There's nothing. <laughs> but if there anything that was important, that would be at the top of the list. Mm -hmm. And so we begin to practice Anapanasati. We, in fact, begin to have noble right view because we realign for our own uh, um, mentality what is, in fact, important and what's not. We get our priorities straight. And so we begin now with these two things of right view and a right sati. So that we begin to remember to take a look at what's going on in the mind right now. That's the only thing that we're doing so far is just taking a look at what's going on in the mind right now. And we can make a, a, a determination uh, or a judgment in the sense of is this happening right now? Is this real right now? In other words, my, my knee itches. That's real right now. Or is this an imagination about something that happened in the past? Okay. Events, times, places, things that happened, or something that we're planning on. These would be thoughts that are unwholesome. An example of dwelling in the past is that we find work to do. We have unfinished <laughs> business. And then the parent says, yes, you got to do it. We just thought this up. Okay, so now we're in a, um, a dialogue between the parent in the, in the head, which would be, uh, in a way of thinking, a dialogue between ordinary right view and what that ordinary right view sees as wrong view. <laughs> Okay. Mm -hmm. Put on your clothes. Take a bath. <laughs> put your toys away. Do what you're told to do. Okay. And then uh, the child says, "Hey, man, I can get away with it. I don't want to do any of that stuff. I can. I'm. I'm okay already. I'm fine. I can get away with it." And so we get this dialogue or war within our own minds that is quite unwholesome. Mm -hmm. And we're in that particular moment, instead of having a conflict of interest within our own mind, we're still not doing what we told ourselves to go do. And we're also in a state some, somewhat close to misery <laughs> in this conflict. Mm -hmm. And to think, we could have been not doing it and feel good <laughs> instead. Mm -hmm. So this is really where the teaching of the Buddha is absolutely magnificent to understand just how simple this is. It's literally the, uh, the difference in, in flipping a mental switch inside 
And that switch can be thought of in many, many different ways. One is past, future versus present. Another one is work to do versus the work has already been finished now. <laughs> or bad feelings versus actually um, building up and working on good feelings or changing the view between ordinary right view and super mundane right view. Okay, so this is just a basic switch that we're pulling, but it's now uh, with all these labels that I put on it, it looks more like <laughs> a tank of uh, wall switches where you got to go push them all down. Or in fact, no, it's just one thing. It's just an attitude change. Mm -hmm. Okay, the attitude is, is that everything is all right. Everything's fine. And we need to have those kind of thoughts. Because if we don't, then the kind of thoughts that will uh, come right back in is this dialogue between the parent and the child saying, go do this, go do that. And the child saying, I don't want to, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. Or the child does get up and goes do it, but he still doesn't feel good about it. Mm -hmm. Then in fact, what we need to do is to get the child enthusiastic <laughs> about the Dhamma. Because if we can build up enthusiasm, then the then the right effort is easier. So let's bring in right effort. And if we've got enthusiasm, it's easier. But if there's no enthusiasm, it can still be done in the sense of it's going to take more effort to throw out the unwholesome thoughts by substituting new wholesome thoughts in its place. And new wholesome thoughts are in various categories. It could be possibly say, stated that one kind of thought would be wholesome in one respect and not wholesome in another. And so we're kind of looking for the kind of thoughts that would be wholesome more and more of all of those occasions. So because there are some thoughts that are absolutely wholesome 100% of the time, all the time. But in fact, those kind of thoughts then could be considered noble because they are um, of super mundane, noble right view all the time. And that w would be the Four Noble Truths, the Eight Four Noble Path, the teaching of the Buddha. So if we're sitting there thinking about the Dhamma, especially thinking about applying that Dhamma, to this very moment, because that's what the Dhamma is for. It's not for writing down in books or taking tests. Four noble truths. What are the four <laughs> noble truths? No. This is not school. This is anti-school. Okay. And so in that regard, this is not a bunch of stuff to memorize in memory or just more work to do that the child doesn't want to do. Child wants to play. So we want to see the Dhamma as a new toy to play with rather than work to be done. It's a, it's a toy. Play now. Okay. And that means to apply the Dhamma to this present moment and play with it right now, especially in the sense of right noble view, to take a look. Sati, to wake up so that we can take a look. And then right effort, if we have taken a look and recognized that this thought's not wholesome, let's have wholesome thoughts, then we can change those wholesome thoughts immediately. An example of that that the Buddha gave that is so powerful, he gave the word, aha, I see you, Mara. <laughs> have you ever heard of that expression? Yeah. This is what he's talking about. This is it. The thought in the mind is an unwholesome thought. And what we can do is we can say, aha, I can see that. I can see that that thought's unwholesome. Guess what? Saying, aha, I see you, Myra, or aha, I can see that unwholesome thought, now is a completely different new thought. And it is wholesome. <laughs> So it's actually a skill to be developed. This is one of the way, reasons why we talk about right noble view is also a skill to be developed. And the skill that we're going to develop is 
the determination of where the dangers are within each thought that we have so that we begin to have thoughts that have no dangers to them at all. Mm. That our thoughts are wholesome. And that uh, uh, this is actually the practice then, is to take the mind and bring it into one wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought. And those wholesome thoughts then are the kind of thoughts to gladden the mind. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, I'm really glad I don't have to think about that work. <laughs> wow, I could just sit here and relax and enjoy the moment. Everything's okay. Everything is fine. You can hear all of these um, wholesome thoughts. But we don't speak in wholesome thoughts. So it would be good to start for you to begin to build your own vocabulary of the kind of thoughts that you want to have. We don't need many of them. But in fact, what's really going on is that the mind is scattered and it's just going all over the place. What we want to do is to try to get it into a corral of only wholesome thoughts and start thinking about it. You don't even have to be what we would call creative because the same ones over and over and over again that work (laughs) better if we keep using them. So, oh, Okay. A nice breath of it. <laughs> oh, everything's all right. It's fine. My, what a wonderful moment. The grass is growing, the birds are snigging, snakes are coiled up in the attic, and the geckos are crowing, and everything is all right. And everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Everything's all right. Everything's fine. These are the kind of words that we need to start using. You get yourself into a state of satisfaction. Everything's all right. Everything's fine. Let's get satisfied with this present moment. And with that satisfaction, we can also have thoughts about there's no dangers here. Everything's all right, really. There's no alligators, there's no snakes, there's no cobras, no cops, there's no SWAT teams, there's no gorillas, there's no mafia, there's no Russian agents. Everything is all right. <laughs> Everything is fine. And I feel secure and comfortable and confident and satisfied. Now, when we keep practicing that over and over and over again, the, the next element of the Eightfold Noble Path comes into play. The first three of right view, right effort, and right remembering run and circle around each other so that your effort begins skillful. Your sati becomes quite skillful and your um, ability to discern what is wholesome and what is not wholesome becomes quite excellent. When that happens, the next thing that comes in, and that is one success after another success, after another wholesome thought, one after another, we begin to feel really successful at this. That success is a very, very powerful place to be. That this is, in fact, what we are all looking for. Everyone in our society that's out there looking for sensual desires are actually looking for the feeling of success. We're looking for the feeling of being a winner. Why would anyone join the Olympic team, work out all of that really hard 10 years just to get into the Olympics? And then at the end of the race to say, I'm not interested. No, they want to win. Why? Why do they want to win? (laughs) Because of the feeling of success in winning. (laughs) That in fact, you can see what the winner does when he wins that, say, 100-yard dash. Exactly. (laughs) That's the pity that we develop by the sitting meditation because here we're winning and in a much better better way than the olympics because the guy gets the olympic gold medal he goes home and he's miserable for the rest of his life but at least he found that success one time here we're developing it as a skill 
Here is to be developed as a skill, the right attitude. I can handle this. And we begin to feel like that we're on top of the game. We're on top of the world. In fact, there is an expression. Everyone is an emperor of his own pile of dirt. The question is, are you going to be buried under your pile of dirt? Poor me, pity party, what a mess I've made. <laughs> are you going to be in the process of climbing out? I'll get out someday. I'll struggle and I'll work and I'll strive and I'll make enough money or I'll get enough points or whatever, and then I'll be on top of the game. Yeah. Or you can practice the way that the Buddha is and just float right up there. Here you are. <laughs> Just pop right to the top. There you are. You're on top of your own game. Just how do we do that? Just forget about it. Just about your dirt anyway. <laughs> Just past. That's the whole point is the dirt is our past. And when we don't worry about the past, that means that we're on top of the game. We really are an emperor when we're in this present moment. Allow yourself to feel like you really are on top of your world. That's one's right attitude. Now, the question is when, where, and how to practice this. And the answer to it is whenever you can remember to, but it would be good to set it up. So that you do remember, okay? And the Buddha also talked about it in the sense of getting away from it all, going into seclusion. You get away from the world because it's going to be interrupting us. So we get away from the world so that we can go around, or go to some place so that we can deal with not being in the world and we find out we're still in it because the mind is still, that's our, all the emperor dirt is still the world inside the mind. And so we have to throw it out there too. So we get rid of the real world, then we get rid of the world of make-believe that we have made and then believed it so that we can actually be here in this present moment. Happily. This is what the practice is really about. If you can master that, there's not much more to it. But we'll, we can talk about what's more to it later. But if you can get this much done, you've got, you got it made. One wholesome thought after another, after another. When do you do that? Whenever you remember it. And so that's why I would say to make sure that you're actually sitting down for this 10 minutes, saying right now for the next 10 minutes, I'm going to be one happy character. I'm going to get my mind completely clean of all the dirt and, and have a shiny clean mind by watching the breathing, remembering sati, 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 sati. Watch that thought. Let only wholesome thoughts in. Don't let any other kind of thoughts in. This is the way that we work, practice. We don't really need to sit cross-legged in a meditation hall to do this. And yet that's what... A lot of Westerners think of meditation. You've got to go someplace and do something. No, you're already here now. Stop doing what you were doing here. <laughs> you don't have to go and do something to stop doing over there. <laughs> so in a way, we treat meditation like we treat everything else in the West. Something you've got to go to and do. Rather than here you are, take a, take a rest. You've already done all you needed to do right now. You've thunk enough today. So you keep practicing like that. Set it up. I would say when you go to sleep at night, like we talked about last time, when you get up in the morning and four other times during the day, because we're only talking about 10 minutes, and look how many meditators are putting in one, two, three hours every day. <laughs> but by breaking it up and putting it into very small pieces, you can make it joyful. Wait, a total of 10 minutes? 
Huh? A total of 10 minutes or 10 minutes each time? Uh, basically 10 minutes each time for a total of about 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. But it more has to do not with the clock, but more mm -hmm. of just taking a break and getting yourself into a really nice state. And in the beginning, it generally takes students about 10 minutes to do that. <laughs> and then you get good at doing it for five, in five. And so now you spend five minutes getting into that state and five minutes enjoying it. And that's when you're really making progress. And then pretty soon you start getting into it quite easily. And staying in it. And we'll talk about those kind of things later, but those are also skills to be developed. If you'd call that a meta skill. The meta skill is to get yourself into a really beautiful, wonderful, wholesome state. Full of energy and bright, vim, vigor, everything. Wonderful. You got it by the tail. I mean, that's not a tiger, it's a toy. <laughs> okay, get yourself into that sort of uh, frame of reference often. I only have two hours. <laughs> well, go practice. Go practice and call me, okay? After I'm done practicing? Well, only come in several days. Go practice five, six times a day mm -hmm. for several days and then give me a call. Report in and we'll take the next step. What if I want to call? <laughs> can I call you before that or? Yeah, you, you can call. Mm -hmm. Yeah, every time you good. No problem. And this is a. Uh practice itself in a way. Yeah. Enjoy your practice as much as you enjoy our phone calls. <laughs> it's uh, a skill to be developed. It's an art. The art of joy. Mm -hmm. Happiness is a skill to be developed. And a lot of people don't know that. They think uh, that happiness is a product to be purchased. <laughs> and they've got to work really hard because Happiness is expensive. <laughs> but no, happiness is to be developed. The skill. Go practice. Go develop the skill of joy. Okay? We'll see you in a couple of days, all right? <laughs> Thank you. Uh-huh. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.